Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Court Today. Court Today with JP McNamara on C103. And good morning, John Paul. In for Patricia right through until one. She is still down with the flu. Uh, bad colds going around at the moment. A lot of people have them. So uh, wrap up. It is cold and it's going to remain cold as temperatures will increase again, but will decrease in the early hours of the morning. So that uh, giving way to a lot of people who might think it's warmer in the morning as they head out to their car, realising it is still cold. Uh, so a lot of people are getting affected by those flus. So mind yourselves over the next few days and ahead on this morning show, uh, we will again, look at what could happen to form a government in this country we'll have an overview of where things lie at the moment we're hearing this morning that uh, first of all Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that they are looking to come together to form some type of coalition to keep Sinn Féin out and then we are hearing of course and we heard this yesterday Sinn Féin are to speak and are speaking to a number of parties and smaller parties to form a government so again today everything's still up in the air a lot of work to be done to see who can form a government uh, there's uh, nothing official as yet but the only new news really today is this uh, so-called super grand coalition and that will be made up of Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party and the main reason for that is uh, to deny Sinn Féin power in government so we'll have to see if that will come to fruition or indeed uh, will Sinn Féin manage to uh, work something out either with Fianna Fáil or with the other parties the only thing is numbers aren't adding up even if they speak to the smaller parties who did well in this particular election. We'll speak to our political correspondent Sean Defoe on that later in the show. Also, we got a lot of reaction yesterday to this and we're going to speak to Barry Aldworth from the AA this morning. This is how, first of all, penalty points could be doubled at bank holiday weekends, something that is popular in other countries across the world. Australia have it very successfully in some states in Australia, whereby on bank holiday weekends, they actually double the penalty points you receive and how we are going to get new speed camera zones in this country. They're going to be set up right across the country, over 100 Uh, coming here to Cork and when it comes to speed cameras people have mixed views they feel that some of the cameras are located in the wrong areas 
and we keep using the example of the Cork to Manor Road because mainly on the fast lanes on that particular stretch of road people feel the cameras are based there they've never seen accidents on that stretch of road and they feel that uh, when you are exceeding speed to overtake a vehicle that's where people are caught and they feel that's wrong it's not right and the speed cameras should be located on stretches of that road or any road where there has actually been an accident or there's always accidents and they're not there so with the new introduction of speed cameras and we obviously have the Road Safety Authority the Gardaí welcoming this uh, but when it comes to positioning it on Cork roads people people feel they are in the wrong location so your views are welcome on that because there's going to be more of them now in new areas but are they going to the correct areas to tackle the issue of road safety instead of collecting money we'll discuss that with the AA shortly on the programme we're also going to hear about plans to support biodiversity in the region and this story coming from Middleton yesterday all to do with the bees of course and how now more than ever we need to protect our bees in this country and the Middleton Pollinator Plan that has been adopted by Cork County Council's East Cork District and the plans and work already carried out by Middleton to support biodiversity is now hopefully going to be adopted across the region here in Cork. I know other communities are also doing that so we'll hear and speak with them later in the programme and also the Canturk Scouts and for many years, scouts uh, do so much great work, not only in Kenturk, but across the county. And most places have a scout hall or have a premises that they can call their own. But Kenturk scouts don't. And they're now, even though they're going for over 35 years, they've never had their own premises. And they're now this morning going to chat with us as they search for a premises. Maybe we can find them one. Maybe there's somebody in the Kenturk area who has a building, not using it, and they're willing to give it or let the scouts use it. Or they can come to some type of an arrangement anyhow for the scouts we'll see uh, how, how we can deal with this and if we can get premises for the uh, scouts in Kenturk and hear the work that they do as well but they are on search for a premises of their own and Peter Dowdall is back yes he's back into the spring summer looking ahead to what you can do for your garden answering your gardening questions he's with us after 12.30 so if you have a question for Peter, be that for planning for your garden for spring, summer or indeed if you have questions, we've a lot of them in over the last few weeks. We'll put them to Peter and indeed today uh, get your questions in early for Peter and we'll put as many as we can to Peter just after 12.30 and your comments also are welcome across the morning along with your calls to Bernie 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 86 or indeed email jp at c103 you can tweet us as well this morning at C103 Cork. Good morning to you. Our lines are open 1850-333-103. You can text on WhatsApp 0862-103-103 or indeed you can tweet this morning at C103 Cork. And it's just staying on the issue of the election at the moment that there's a lot of uh, calls and comments in regarding that and we'll get to those shortly. But just the latest update on that, as I mentioned there, uh, the latest on what could happen to former government this morning. So we know now there's uh, talks of a so-called super grand coalition made up of Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party being proposed. That is basically to deny Sinn Féin any power in government. And also then, outside of that, Sinn Féin are today speaking to the smaller parties to see what they can do. Uh, One of the key things here 
is when they're speaking with parties such as the Green Party, the rent freeze and carbon tax, they're key to coalition talks between Sinn Féin and the Green Party at the moment. So that is ongoing today. And then yesterday, a lot of talk about the Waterford Sinn Féin TD. That is David Cullinan. He was in the news because at his celebratory speeches on Monday night, I suppose, or maybe Sunday night, anyhow, whenever it was, he basically used the term up the raft at his speech and the remarks a lot of people were not happy with and Mary Lou came out yesterday and she was saying she's not their mammy she can't be looking and watching everything they are doing outside of Doyle Aaron and people just felt it was the wrong remark to make if Sinn Féin wanted to get away from that type of image that they had well it seems now according to the Irish Independent this morning that senior Sinn Féin TD David Cullinan has been excluded from the main negotiating team to form a government and it comes from the comments he made at the celebratory speech he held in Waterford so he now uh, even though many say he is the good negotiator and he says that himself uh, but because of what happens with those comments he's now excluded uh, according to the papers this morning from negotiating and, and that particular team that are hoping to form a government within Sinn Féin we'll have more on that in the programme later and on well, the early hours of Monday morning, Cork Southwest got their three TDs elected, but the, on the first count, it was independent Michael Collins got elected. And when I was interviewing him just moments after he was elected in the community hall in Clonakilty, he mentioned the reasons why he felt he got elected on numerous health issues and Bantry Hospital. And also he mentioned the fact that rural Ireland was being destroyed by a number of uh, different laws that were passed to do with roads in rural Ireland and road safety. And he did say at the time that you could see what is happening in Dublin with Shane Ross. And at that stage, it looked like Shane Ross was about to lose his seat in Dublin I think about an hour after or maybe a few hours after he did actually lose his seat and in and you could say another post-rally celebration speech according again to the Irish Independent this morning uh, Michael Collins described Shane Ross didn't describe it to us now in fairness but he did describe it um, at a rally and this again could have been like David Cullinan a celebration in good form speaking not in front of you know in front of his supporters I suppose he did say uh, that Shane Ross was one of, one of the biggest scumbags in politics and that was at a post-election rally now he has come back and more or less said that he he calling Mr Ross a scumbag insisted that he was delighted he lost his seat but he would take back calling Mr Ross a scumbag that was probably said at the heat of the moment when they were celebrating Bush uh, he did insist he was delighted he lost his seat because of the way that they have brought in new rules and new laws that have clashed with rural Ireland and these new laws were clashing with the likes of Michael Collins the Healy Rays and more who were representing rural areas and uh, Michael went on to say that he always tries to kick the ball and not the man but what Shane Ross has done had far-reaching consequences that will go on for decades in our country he's the man that wrecked rural Ireland uh, says Michael so and he openly said that uh, in the clinicality in the hall on uh, Sunday night when he was elected that Shane Ross uh, one of the reasons why he felt he got elected was because of proposals that kept coming from that particular uh, TD in Dublin and he felt that he was was out of touch with what was happening in rural Ireland but that story making the papers as well uh, this morning regarding Michael Collins in, in, in West Cork and representing Cork South West of course topping the poll there on the first count in Cork South West and moving on to something outside of the election 
And this is how a royal visit will be coming to Ireland next month and possibly coming to Cork. Prince William and Kate Middleton will make an official visit to Ireland. It's going to happen uh, between March 3rd and March 5th. They haven't given locations on where indeed they will visit, but Cork could be on the cards, especially from the visit of the Queen a number of years ago to the English market. Ever since then, there's been a draw from the royals to Cork and a visit to the English market. So, Will William and Kate visit Cork? People have mixed views on that because always when we mention any type of a visit, but especially a royal visit, people say, who is going to pick up the cost of this? Are us, the taxpayers, again, going to be footing the bill for security, for the cost of minding the royals and everything else that happens to ensure roads are closed and all of that? So who foots the bill? Uh, or do you welcome the royals coming? Because as we saw the last time round, there was a lot of uh, a spin-off regarding tourism to Cork following this as people wanted to see uh, where they visited in Cork, wanted to see the English market, as the English market was portrayed uh, not only in the UK, but across the world in America and uh, Australia and those within the English market would always say they notice a huge attraction following uh, the Queen's visit to the English market. So is it good for Cork that despite what people think of the cost of bringing them here and the cost of looking after them, do you think it's good for Cork if they did come and it would be a good boost for tourism and put Cork on the stage again with the cameras showing Cork City and, and showing the county and showing the English market if they were to visit the English market. Anyhow, your views are welcome on that. 1850 333 103 or in the text of WhatsApp 0862103103 and as the snow and ice is about to leave us and we're going to get rain and temperatures they will increase during the day. They will get cold again at night time but they will increase during the day and we will see less snow and ice over the next few days and yesterday I was travelling from uh, Malo uh, to um, Ballyporeen uh, in Tipperary, Clahine and Ballyporeen in Tipperary, and passing through Mitchellstown and Nair Care, and to see the snow in all the mountains uh, in the Ballyhouras and the Galtys, uh, when passing through Cadollery and Glenahulla and moving on to Mitchellstown and all those beautiful areas of North Cork. Uh, that will change because the snow will melt, and what's going to happen is we're going to get a new storm. It's called Storm Dennis, and it's going to hit us on. On Saturday. Now, at the moment, Met Aaron are saying it's too early to tell how bad it will get, but they will be issuing warnings from Thursday at the earliest. The UK Met Office is saying it will get very bad as a storm, but again, no warnings will be issued until tomorrow. So, uh, by all accounts it will batter the country uh, but how bad it will be we won't get exact conditions or exact uh, stats or in- exact warnings until tomorrow from Metairam but just as we get over one uh, batch of weather from Storm Kira to this cold spell we have another storm facing us this weekend by way of Storm Dennis anyhow calls and comments are welcome must get uh, through more comments as well coming in on the cost of Parky Cueve and how much profits the GAA made they revealed that yesterday Today, that and more to come. 1850 333103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. But how do you feel on bank holiday weekends if the penalty points were doubled on bank holiday weekends? And your view on new speed camera zones here in Cork. Over a hundred so far, anyhow, will be located here in the Cork area. Discussing that next. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333103. 
Now, Gardaí are to expense, extend speed camera zones to hundreds of roads across the country. Plus, we could be seeing penalty points doubled across bank holiday weekends. Barry Aldworth is from the AA and joins me on this this morning. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning, John Paul. Now, first of all, penalty points and fines. This is something very popular in some states in Australia, whereby the double demerits on bank holiday weekends and issue warnings on media about the doubling in advance of a bank holiday weekend. They say this has reduced debts on high-risk weekends. And we have seen here, particularly on the Sunday into the Monday of a bank holiday, you can't really switch on a news bulletin without hearing a death somewhere in the country. But will this work in Ireland? Yes, I think there's a couple of things at play here. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, bank holidays are a particularly dangerous time on our roads. We know that accidents tend to increase. We know that speeding instances tend to increase. Unfortunately, there's a minority who ordinarily would never dream of drinking and driving, but for some reason on a bank holiday, they seem to believe it's an acceptable behaviour. So I think we have to do something to get our head around the problem that bank holidays represent an increased risk on our roads compared to a traditional week there, a traditional weekend. Now, doubling penalty points, it's not necessarily a new idea. In fact, I think the, the Garda Commissioner previously proposed this in October of last year, leading up to the October Bank Holiday weekend. And it's not a bad idea. I mean, it's been trialled and tried successfully in Australia. They've found that it has helped, it has worked. I think where we often find ourselves when it comes to improving road safety is we immediately reach or jump to creating new laws or creating harsher punishments when the more effective outcome or the more effective plan may be to actually jump to increasing policing and increasing resources that we provide to Gardaí both in terms of manpower and speed cameras so that they can better police the existing laws that we have as opposed to thinking that just introducing new laws in isolation are going to solve the problem. Yeah, and that's a good point you make there, and listeners have picked up on that, the fact that, yes, I mean, we we do have an issue with speed, especially on bank holiday weekends in some parts of the country, so some are saying, yes, if they could maybe double penalty points for speed, that might slow people down on bank holiday weekends. But the other thing a lot of listeners are picking up on is what you mentioned. How can Gardaí enforce this when the Gardaí themselves are openly saying they are under-resourced, so you can have these laws, but no one could be there to enforce it? Absolutely. So, I mean, if you look even at our current road safety statute book, it's actually amongst the the harshest in the world in terms of punishing misbehaviour on our roads. It compares admirably with any of the countries in, across the world. And in fact, many countries have actually looked at the Irish statute book and picked parts from us and said, this is really works for Ireland. We're going to try and copy this. But any statute book, any set of laws is only as strong as the enforcement you have to enact it. And I think often, and it's timely, we're, we're looking at a new government, we're looking at a new transport minister in the next couple of weeks, and often we find new transport ministers jumping to new laws that they can introduce, that they can stamp their name on and will generate a few headlines, whereas it, it's considerably less headline-worthy, it's not sexy, but if you increased the resource you give to Gardaí to actually please our existing laws, we'd all be more thankful and better off for us. And would you think that even though doubling penalty points might scare people from taking chances and risks on bank holiday weekends, if you had more resources, there would be less of a need to do something like this or bring in new laws because then Gardaí would be able to catch people on a daily basis if they had given or they had the resources to hand to do that? Yeah, I think, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be one or the other. 
But certainly we need to give Gardaí proper resources to enforce our existing laws, I think, before we really jump to deciding that we need new laws. If you look at, say, post-recession, significant cuts were made to Gardaí resources. That trend has started to be reversed, but it's not being reversed as quickly as we would like or any other organisation working in the area of road safety would like to see. So I think that needs to be a priority. And then if you... If you find that you need to change your laws, of course, I think anyone will mention will welcome any method of improving our road safety record. But I think enforcement and giving Gardaí what they need to enforce our laws actually needs to come first. As I say, it's not going to grab as many headlines, but I think it will play a much stronger role in helping reduce fatalities and reduce accidents, in yeah. both in terms of bank holidays and in your normal week as well. If they were going to go ahead with this, though, they'd have to introduce new legislation. It can't just happen. It would have to go through the Doyle and Shannon to get this over the line to double penalty points at weekends. Yeah, it would require new laws to support this. And I I think kind of one of the concerns I have about this is it does feel like when you introduce new laws, when you try to amend existing laws, you can often, in doing so, introduce new areas of appeal, new challenges, which make laws tougher to enforce in courts. So again, I mean, it's it's an unlikely example, but if you decided that penalty points would be doubled for the bank holiday period between midnight on Friday and midnight on Monday, but then you have a driver who is caught speeding at 12.01 on Friday night, you actually introduce a, a reason for them to appeal that and say, well, I believe I was speeding at 11.59 on Thursday night, so my punishment should be should be less than what it is. So I think you can, in trying to improve our road safety record when you go down the path of new laws you can accidentally introduce new areas for appeal whereas I think if you enforce what we have we'll all be better off for it. And speaking of Australia there earlier and you mentioned drink driving Michael in Banning College says in some states in Australia if you're off the road for drink driving you can still drive to work and that's mainly I think in rural Australia whereby they have that law whereby if you are off the road for drink you can drive to and from work but that is it it's, it's a, a lesser permit you have to drive uh, but if you're found to be using that outside of the rules of going to work then you're, you're, you're totally gone from the road I think that that's how that works but could that work here in Ireland if that was the case or are we not it up for that because rural Australia, if you think rural Ireland is isolated, parts of Australia that are very rural are way more isolated than any uh, part of Ireland. Yeah, I think rural Australia is kind of, uh, even if people in rural Ireland often feel isolated and often feel isolated on a warranted basis compared to parts of rural Australia, it's a very, very different story. They've introduced it on kind of a, a needs must basis where losing your license for drink driving could potentially isolate you to really lead to loss of a job. I wouldn't necessarily support something similar here. I think ultimately when you get a license, you get that license on the basis that you adhere to road safety law, that you use it within our legal system. And one of those one of those things is that you can't drive all over the blood alcohol limit. And I struggle to have pity for people who drink and drive. And I know that you know some people will point to people being marginally over the limit and losing their license on that basis. But again, I think if you have a license, you have to use it responsibly and that includes that you cannot drink and drive. And I just find it very difficult to empathise with people on any basis who will take that risk and in doing so endanger not only themselves but other road users. 
Okay, I want to move on because the we're staying with road safety, but this is the new road safety speed cameras or, or go safe zones uh, that are being introduced across the country. Now, there's 900 overall, I think about 100 for Cork, uh, while they're going to remove a number of these zones as well. What's your view on this? Because people have a view that some of these go speed or go safe vans where they're located are in the wrong areas. Listeners and, and, and people who have contacted us yesterday afternoon don't have an issue with the actual van or where, where it is but it's where they locate them uh, for example the Cork to Mallow Road is when we keep getting people say the vans are on the fast lane so if you're exceeding to take over a car speed wise you're caught whereby a number of black spots on that road you never see uh, speed vans uh, what's your view on that because people are very frustrated to think more of them are coming yeah so when it comes to the ghost the go speed network and the speed limit enforcement the zones in which the go safe cameras operate are based on accident data now again i think within that you're always going to have issues with some data and you know an area may be highlighted as a black spot when it doesn't necessarily line up but for the best part of us i think any area that has been identified by the guardi is an area in which they need to increase enforcement they are doing that on the basis of it being an accident black spot and a high risk of accidents in the area or a high number of offences, including speeding, being carried out in the area. So insofar as possible, the the network is advised by any available data. I think you will always have people feeling that, you know, this area should be in, this area shouldn't be in. And I think it's important what the Gardaí have just announced. It highlights that they are keeping this, this network under continuous review. They will take areas out if they feel the behaviour has improved in the area. They will add in new areas if they feel like they are a problem. So I think understandable that people might want the... Well, people understandably want the network to function as best as it can. And I think to be fair to Gardaí, they are trying to achieve that and they are ultimately being guided by the data available to them. And do you hear that? I know you guys do your AA surveys every now and again. Do you get that back from your members who are frustrated with speed vans who they feel are not in the accident black spots, but just in an area whereby it's easy to pick up a fine? It's something you do hear now and again that people believe the uh, the Go Safe Network is more about generating revenue than improving road safety. I think the, the, the honest answer to that is if you truly believe that Go Safe is about generation revenue, it's doing a pretty poor job of us. The the network actually runs at a loss. The, where where we see a benefit from this is a in preventing road deaths, pre- preventing accidents, and b the financial impact of preventing those accidents. So, for example, if you prevent an accident and avoid an emergency services call out, that can save the exchequer up to quarter of a million. Similarly, there's been studies out there that put the cost to the exchequer of a road death in the region of about two million. So that's where the network saves and makes money for the exchequer. But in terms of the actual day-to-day running of the network, it costs far more to run the Go Safe network than it than the network generates in fines. So while you do hear of a minority voicing that no, it's only about revenue. 
if that is the ultimate goal, it's doing a pretty poor job of achieving that goal. And very finally, I'm mentioning the speed cameras. I'm not too sure what your view is on fixed speed cameras, but Tim Abandon says they should be on all motorways and dual carriageways. Speeding drivers need to be caught. The stretch of road between the Kinsed Roundabout and Mahan Point is lethal with drivers exceeding the speed limit and also not being in the correct lane for the appropriate slip road or exits. Accidents are caused by stupid drivers. Would you agree with Tim in Bandon about introducing fixed speed cameras on those type motorways or dual carriageways? Yeah, so it's something that has been done on some motorways and some motorways have introduced cameras that kind of calculate the time it travels or calculate the time that it takes you to travel between two fixed points to work out whether you're speeding or not. I think ultimately more speed cameras are something that should be looked at and are being looked at by Gardaí to help improve our road safety record. I think, you know, ultimately at some point we all have to accept our own individual responsibility to self-police our driving behaviour but in areas where there are accidents or high rates of speeding, certainly I think more cameras are something to be looked at. And if they are introducing these new speed zones, are they going to put up those signs? You know those signs you see with the, they're, they're small signs, but they have a picture of a camera and they're warning you that this you're entering an area where you could see a go-safe van or a speed camera. Will they be erected now for the new zones? Uh, so that is to be confirmed. So the new zones will be made available on the Garda website. Previously, as you mentioned, they have put those signs up. I think there's some reluctance to introduce them for the new areas, but it's something that we will be liaising with the Department of Transport on. I believe that a very important part of our success in improving our road safety record is making sure that motorists feel that you you aren't being targeted, you aren't being unnecessarily punished, that you are being brought along with the system, and people have bought into that. So while there is a little bit of reluctance in terms of some Gardaí in putting up signs, it's something we will be liaising with the, tra- with the Department of Transport on. Because, you know, we, we genuinely believe those signs have helped motorists buy into the speed camera network and feel that it's serving the purpose that it is meant to serve. So it's to be confirmed, but it's something that the engagement is ongoing about. OK, we'll wait and see how this rolls out for the moment. Barry, thanks for joining us this morning. That's Barry Alderworth there from the AA. Your view on that regarding speed cameras. Some people, a lot of people have mixed views on them. And the location is the big thing. And people feel they're located in the wrong areas and located near fast lanes where people are being caught because they're just simply exceeding their speed to overtake a vehicle. A lot of text in on that. I'll get to those shortly. Your views are welcome. 1853 or indeed text or WhatsApp 86 but biodiversity, saving the bees, and a lot of people want to get involved in this and to see this uptaken a lot more in communities in Cork over 2020. Well, we'll hear how one community is now getting the support of the council and others will follow across the region next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. The Middleton Pollinator Plan has been adopted by Cork County Council in the East Cork District. The plans on the work already carried out in Middleton is to support biodiversity across the region of Cork. And Dr. Una Fitzpatrick is Senior Ecologist at the National Biodiversity Data Centre and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Una. And thanks for joining us. First of all, Middleton, what have they done there when it comes to biodiversity? Because a lot of talk over the last year or more about protecting our bee population here in the country. Yeah, so I manage something called the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, which is trying to address that exact issue. And I have to pay an enormous amount of tribute to Middleton, um, who have really taken it on board and 
gone above and beyond, you know, in trying to implement changes. So I know at the county council office there in Middleton, they've got an amazing meadow where they just reduced mowing to let a natural meadow grow. I was there last summer. It was buzzing with bees and with plants. Um, and then, as you just mentioned, they've now produced their own pollinator plant for the town of Middleton, which is a really positive um, step forward. And now this will be adopted and used in other towns right across Cork. So we'll have other towns now who will adopt this and this will help the not only the bees, but also people who need to learn about why we're doing this because people mightn't realise the importance to bees here, not only in Ireland, but across the world and why we need them. That's right. I suppose before I answer that, just to say it won't just be adopted, I hope, by towns in Cork. I hope it'll be adopted by towns right across the country. And actually, I already directed a town in Wexford towards Middleton's plan just this week. So they really are trailblazing, which is fantastic. I suppose in answer to your question, why pollinators are so important, um, well, we know that the free service bees provide is worth about 59 million a year to the Irish economy. That's just the crops they pollinate. We also know, you know, if we didn't have bees and and other pollinators, it would be very hard to, you know, have the fruit and vegetables that we need for a healthy diet. And also, and what's often overlooked, is our wild plants out there, about three quarters of those need to be pollinated. So without bees, you know, the bees in the landscape, it looks, you know, very, very different, a lot less colourful and, you know, I suppose the thing about bees is that they're keystone species, you know, so the amount of work they do in keeping the whole environment ticking over is enormous. You know, so protecting them is, is crucially important. And why is our bee population declining? I mean, why have we over the last number of years seen basically bees dying and disappearing from a number of countries across the world and it's affecting us now here in Europe? Why is that happening? Yeah, well, we've got 99 different types of bees in Ireland. So there's the honeybee and then there's 21 different kinds of bumblebees and there's 77 different kinds of solitary bees. And the bumblebees and the solitary bees, they're the wild bees and one third of those are threatened with extinction from Ireland. So we have huge problems. Um, the reason, the main reason, to be totally honest, is just hunger. You know, wild bees come out of hibernation in spring. They don't make honey, so they don't have any way of storing food. So it's true to say, you know, they're never more than a couple of days away from starvation. So they're totally dependent on there being flowers in the landscape for them to feed on right from spring through into the autumn. And I suppose that's what's not there anymore. You know, we manage the landscape to be much more sterile than it used to be, you know, both on farms and on public lands and on private lands in our gardens. So it's about, I suppose in a nutshell, it's about not tidying up quite so much. You know, it's about maybe letting grass grow a bit longer so that flowers can also grow amongst it. You know, and be, again, being careful about the chemicals that you're spraying. But but really the key driver is just hunger. Yeah, and I suppose we have built up a lot in Ireland anyhow over the last while. A lot of new areas which were rural near our cities are now becoming villages and becoming commuter towns. So that has a, an impact, I'm sure. And also, which a lot of people are asking, the sprays that people are spraying on their flowers over the last number of years, are they affecting the bee population? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, hunger is the key driver. And then, you know, it's lack of safe places for these bees to live. They're much like ourselves. They just need somewhere safe to live and food to feed themselves and their families. But after that, then, of course, spraying has a negative impact on them. And, you know, it's not just spraying maybe insects in your garden, which is what people often think about. It's it's spraying things that we see of as weeds. You know, it's going out and maybe and spraying dandelions. Whereas I could not stress what an important food source dandelions are to, you know, to our bees in spring. So, and if we, if we had more dandelions, we'd have more pollinators. You know, it's that simple. So I suppose it's not just spraying insects. It's also using sprays, you know, to tidy up in areas 
or to get rid of things that we see as weeds, which, which are actually really important food sources for them. Yeah, and for our own gardens, and many people might be in a situation where by listening to this, they're saying, well, what can I do in my back garden? If you have a big back garden or a small back garden, you mentioned there about leaving things grow. Is that an option to just leave the grass grow or, or have an area set aside or maybe a ditch, yeah. just leave it as it is so you can see the bees flourish in those areas? Yeah, exactly. And that's what the All Ireland Pollinator Plan's all about. It's by everybody doing something. So on pollinators.ie, everybody can find out how to help. So whether it's, you know, councils or farmers or businesses or in your garden. And I think there's three things that you can do in your own garden. The first is just not to cut the grass quite so often. It's not about letting it, you know, get real out of control, but just don't cut it quite so often. So things like maybe dandelions are allowed to grow for a while in March, April, you know, things like clovers then later into the summer. That's really important. The other thing is that you can, when you go to a garden centre to buy plants for your garden, just, I suppose, think carefully about what you're buying and try to buy things that are pollinator friendly so that have pollen and nectar for bees. And I suppose, unfortunately, a lot of stuff that we traditionally have in our gardens, the tulips and the daffodils, you know, and the begonias and the busy lizzies and the primulas, they're useless for pollinators, to be honest. You know, you might as well be putting out plastic flowers as far as bees are concerned, unfortunately. But there are lots and lots of other options that you could choose that would provide pollen and nectar. And then I'd say the third thing is just to be careful about what chemicals that you're using and only use them if you feel you absolutely have to. And you mentioned there about the bee population and what they bring to Ireland. I mean, I'm right in saying, and a lot of people who, who are into bees and wildlife will say, we produce some of the best honey here in this country. And even though Manuka honey is, is the top of the range, uh, many would say, and these are beekeepers here in Ireland, that the honey produced in Ireland is every bit as good as Manuka honey. So the only honey we have here can be top class. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose just to say again, there's 99 different bees in Ireland. Only one of them produces honey. So it's only the honeybee that produces honey. You know, the bumblebees and the solitary bees don't, but they're incredibly important pollinators. And, you know, all of us can help those wild bees by taking some small steps to make sure that there's food and shelter for them in the landscape. Yeah, so for all the different bees we have, I mean, I've seen myself uh, an area uh, heading into Inna Shannon last year uh, whereby they kept the grass and I suppose the scrub and then a big sign up saying uh, protect our bees. So there is a lot of towns and villages uh, getting behind it and hopefully now with this project out of Middleton uh, more will. For the moment, Una, thanks for joining us and best of luck with the work you're doing uh, over the next few years regarding this uh, and uh, hopefully our bee population will see an increase over the next few years now if everybody gets behind it. Thanks, John Paul. Thank you. Dr. Una Fitzpatrick there, Senior Ecologist with the National Biodiversity Data Centre uh, on a, a big issue that was last year being discussed. And again, it's something that I think people are getting on top of now and great work there being carried out by Middleton and other areas of Cork uh, basically to protect our bee population because uh, not only for honey, as you heard uh, Dr. Una outline there, and, and honey is worth a lot indeed to the Irish economy, uh, but also the use of the bees and how they can drive on veg and everything else we eat in this particular country and without them we won't have those luxuries anyhow uh, your views are welcome our lines are open 1850 333 or you can text on WhatsApp 0862 103 103 a lot of calls and texts in regarding the speed zones these new speed zones and where they should be located and how people feel about the existing locations of the go safe fans and they say they're not always in the accident areas we'll uh, hear your calls and comments about that shortly Good morning to you. Bernie taking your calls and comments this morning. 1850 or you can text or WhatsApp 86 You can 
can email jp at c103.ie. Uh, a lot of comments coming in. We're discussing shortly about where can the political parties go now to form a government out of the general election. We'll be speaking very shortly with our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, on that and what's the latest because it's changing by the hour on what people are saying, what people are, are doing, what they might have said during the election campaign doesn't necessarily add up to what they could be doing now. Anyhow, your thoughts and comments on what is happening regarding the formation of a new government. Michael in Castletown Bear on this says, Never ever did I hear of anyone trying to become a Taoiseach with 24% of the actual valid poll. Listening to Sinn Féin, anybody would be convinced that they had 80 seats, not 37. This week could see a lot of rapid changes, with perhaps Michal Martin gone being replaced by Jim O'Callaghan in Fianna Fáil and talked with Leo of Fianna Gael, who will be remaining on, and perhaps with the Greens, or indeed Labour, or the Social Democrats. That way, you have a stable five-year government. Remember, wasn't it in Jim Callaghan's house the last deal was brokered? Think about Hillary Clinton, who won nearly two million votes more than Trump, but didn't have the college seats. Our vote here has a similar ring to it, but is misleading, says Michael in Castletown Bear on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And staying on that issue, Donny in Newmarket Uh, making the point that 1.2 million people did not vote in this particular election. He feels they should make it compulsory to vote. If people would, if everybody voted in this country, we could have had a very different result if people took time out and voted. While John Amalo says the people voted to get rid of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and it now looks like they will get in again. Two high-profile ministers only barely scraped back in. The people's preferred government should be the one that we get, says John. While Mick is saying, if Sinn Féin are in government, will the royals who are going to visit this country next March will they then be welcome to visit the country uh, says Mick on text to 0862103103 now a lot of comments regarding the roads and safety on our roads and the introduction of new speed cameras on our roads and also uh, the penalty points and should penalty points be doubled uh, at the bank holiday weekends like they are in some states in Australia. Well, on that, first of all, uh, to do with speed cameras that we were discussing uh, when these new speed zones comes in, will they actually put up the signs? We know the signs that they have in the roads, a small sign, but it has a kind of a grey image of a camera and that indicates to us, the driver, uh, that an actual speed camera or go safe van is going to be located from here onwards and Tim says though on text the location of speed cameras should be a surprise a motorist should not be forewarned says Tim do you agree with him do you like the current system whereby they actually do have the sign in place and you can actually and will know that uh, an actual speed camera will be ahead or a go safe van if you travel the road every day of course you'll be well aware but if it's a road you're not familiar with well then you know uh, to watch your speed and watch the way you're driving and all of that but do you agree with Tim? Tim feels uh, there should be no uh, signposts, no signs and no forewarning of a speed camera and that it should be a surprise to the motorists and not forewarned about a go safe van or speed uh, camera ahead. And Anne uh, in Fermoy says near the town park at St Anne's the go safe van is always there and there's never been an accident there in that particular location. They're only getting the traffic coming down from the Dublin road going into Fermoy so it's definitely not a place for an accident but probably catching those coming off the motorway 
who were slowing down from 120 to go to 180 and they're the ones that are being caught Was as far as Anne knows there was never a bad accident in that particular location uh, while John in Mallow feels modern new cars the 2019-2020 models they should all be fitted with warning signals so when you go over the speed limit uh, the car should make some type of beeping noise or something and then you know that you have exceeded the speed limit and you have to slow down uh, feels John in Mallow that's actually a very good point with all the modicons now in cars if you do exceed the speed limit on a particular road so you know the sat navs in the cars um, if you're ever trying to find the location in some of them anyhow they will if you have a new enough car they will at the end say uh, 100k is the speed limit for this road or 120 is the speed limit for this road or whatever 80k or or whatever it is Um, so is there a way that they can if the system in your car knows the speed limit from the sat nav, can they get that system to beep once you go over the 80k, 100k? Like what you get in some cars, you get a warning. If it's frosty in the morning, if it's icy, uh, the actual car will beep and say uh, temperatures are below 5 degrees and be careful of driving. Some similar, Something similar to that, whereby if you go over 100k, that you then will be warned you have exceeded the speed limit and that it will either make you cop on or you might just want to exceed anyhow regardless but at least you have been warned uh, good idea there from John Amato thank you for your call to Bernie 1850 while Michael in Buttevant he says cars are taxed according to the size of the car but Michael thinks cars should be made so they cannot go over the speed limit this would reduce the tax charge on cars as we would have not such a big horse powered cars then on our roads says Michael and on the issue of the actual speed cameras some people feel they're a money making racket like the NCT which is a disgrace says one texter and John in Ballyno he was in Fermoy Christmas two years ago the speed camera was near the little shop in Fermoy John was there a few weeks ago over the speed limit got caught and got three penalty points all the shops were closed on that day and he feels this was very unfair so it's obviously a new location for the van John is what you're making but also uh, you were caught you were at the particular uh, road over the speed limit and you got three penalty points but John feels it was unfair uh, the location that you were John you got caught um, uh, if, if that location is a familiar if it's a black spot I suppose they, they should be there but if you feel it's an area whereby uh, like those who were ringing earlier from Fermoy about those coming off the Dublin Road into Fermoy Town that they are coming off the motorway and they are doing 120 on the motorway they're slowing down they're catching them because they're reducing speed approaching the town uh, is it that kind of scenario John uh, that you feel you are reducing your speed but not enough and you feel it's unfair that they're on that particular location thanks for your call 1850-333-103 and on the mention of Shane Ross who lost his seat and I was watching the election coverage I think it was RTE had an interview with him whereby he says he's going to write a book about his time in office and he was warning people uh, to be afraid because he was going to tell a lot of stories that he had to deal with from within the houses of the Oireachtas anyhow on that and Shane Ross losing a seat that we discussed in the last hour a person here on text saying I admire Shane Ross especially on drink driving there should be no drink when one is driving if the older people want to go to the pub for a chat and company let them have a mineral drink driving has caused a lot of heartache to a lot of innocent people in this country Uh, while Margaret saying 
I, I can un- fully understand people's views when it comes to Shane Ross, but I do admire him on bringing in the zero tolerance that he has done for drink driving. There is so many alternatives now for people when they go to the pub. My young guys, when they go out and come home for the weekend, they go to visit their friends and pop into the local bar. They have an option of drinking non-alcoholic drinks. All the major brands now have a non-alcoholic option. And in fairness, all the bars, whereby they be in a town or in a rural village, stock non-alcoholic drinks. So there's no excuse for people to go out and drink. If you want to meet your friends and you want the taste of alcohol, then go to the bar and get a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, My young lads can do that now, so I'm sure every generation should be well able to do it, uh, says Margaret on text to 0862103103. But we will continue our discussion on the election and uh, trying to find out what way things are looking at the moment in the formation of a government because it's changing by the hour. We've heard there in our news with Barry at 11 that Leo Varadkar now has come out this morning and he's admitted that he will be leader of the opposition when the dust settles. But still, he has said that uh, Fine Gael is willing to talk to other parties if his numbers are needed to provide a stable government. So could we have some type of situation, I wonder, like we have at the, or like we had anyhow, with uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, properly up Fianna Gael in the last government? Could it be the other way around in this government. Not too sure. We'll have to wait and see. But is that what he's hinting at? Uh, we'll hear more shortly when we speak to our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, on that. And an email that came in yesterday from Liam, and uh, it, we just didn't get to this when we were discussing uh, with the AA, but it's to do with fuel prices. And as soon as there's a, a fuel increase, we always hear about it. But when there's a decrease in fuel prices, we don't really get the actual drop here in this country. Is what a lot of people say. And Liam is making that point. He says, I can't understand why there has not been a public outcry about fuel prices in this country. Oil prices have dropped to under $55, yet prices at the pump have not come down. I travelled to Derry at the weekend and was astonished to see diesel prices on the M8, M7 and M1 vary from 1.38 to 1.39. Then on Friday, I got diesel at Inver in Johnstown in Kilkenny for 1.29. On my return journey on Sunday, it was down to 1.27. While when I travelled to West Cork, prices vary from 1.33 to 1.37. So these prices have been there for a number of weeks. No decrease has been made by retailers. The only place I have seen prices to drop is in Dunmanway to 1.32. So is there anyone regulating these retailers or oil companies? If prices increase, they are not slow in increasing their particular prices, uh, says Liam on email to jp at c103.ie. Are you noticing the same? Even though uh, prices uh, have gone down for fuel, they haven't gone down in the pumps as yet and we still are seeing the prices as Liam is making out there in the majority of petrol stations anyway it's mainly above uh, 132 to 133 to 137 and that uh, for for fuel so your views on that 1850-333-103 text or whatsapp 0862-103-103 a lot more comments too to get to and we'll uh, get to those comments between now and one but keep them coming to us you can email also jp at c103.ie or tweet at c103cork c103 Jobs. 
And on today's job spot, we have opportunities for the Kinsale Hotel and Spa. They're recruiting spa therapists, accommodation attendants, and food and beverage personnel, chefs and kitchen porters. Email your CVs to gm at hotelkinsale.ie. Glendonough Residential Home is recruiting healthcare assistants. Fairtech Level 5 is essential. You can phone 021-466-8327 for details. And a JCB driver is wanted to work in the McCroom and Mill Street areas. Experience and an up-to-date safe pass is essential. Call 086-877-4623. You'll hear more about these jobs and get all details and more jobs as well if you go now to our website c103.ie forward slash jobs. This is Cork Today on C103. Now, with all seats filled in the election, but no party near the amount of seats to secure the 33rd Dáil, where to now? Well, our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. Now, it's an ever-changing story. Every morning there's a new take on this. And even this morning, again, within the last hour, uh, Leo Varadkar has come out and he's admitted that he'll probably be the leader of the opposition when the dust settles. But he has said that if numbers are needed to provide a stable government, he's willing to talk to other parties. So could we see a situation like we had in the last government that we could have Fianna Gael now propping up a Fianna Fáil government? Is that something that he meant by saying that this morning? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was something that's certainly on the table. It was put to him in a direct question and uh, Lee Ragger, to be fair, did say he had no idea what the outcome was going to be because there's so many permutations up in the ether at the moment and that the onus is on Sinn Féin really now to try and form their left-leaning government, which they're starting meetings on today. But in terms of the, the idea of either a grand coalition or Fine Gael propping up a, a Fianna Fáil coalition from a minority point of view, he did left it deliberately vague, I think, said that if it was needed for his vote to be there in the national interest to form a government they would be but I think there's a lot of reluctance in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil indeed to go down the route of another confidence and supply deal that didn't work for them the last four years and that's been reflected in this election and it would effectively leave Sinn Féin again as the leaders of the opposition again able to build from a strong position there and if we had an election again in six months or even further down the line if it was the two years, three years that they got out of that government, the likelihood is that Sinn Féin would take even more advantage and perhaps come back in a position to form a a government on their own or a government coalition much easier than they have in the current numbers. 
And you mentioned there about a super grand coalition that could be made up of Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens. Uh, would Fianna Gael though and Fianna Fáil, would they come together in government? I don't think so. It's definitely one of the options that works numerically and one that has been talked about. I think it, it would be a massive jump. There would be huge opposition in both parties. And I think there is a realisation that for one of those parties, it would be more damaging than the other. We've seen in coalitions before, the junior partner tends to get a drubbing in the next election. And again, it goes back to that issue I just talked about, where you leave Sinn Féin as a standalone opposition party. And so the view among quite a few people in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil is that you can't do that because Sinn Féin would just absolutely destroy them both in the next election and that long term it would be very bad for both parties. So, as we're aware, it's going to take a long time to actually form this particular government. But during the campaign, Fianna Fáil set out straight that they were never going to team up with Sinn Féin. It has kind of changed, though, in the last few days, especially here in Cork, when any of the TDs were asked. They haven't ruled it out. Also, uh, listening to TDs from various parts of the country, they haven't ruled it out. But TDs in Leinster, Fianna Fáilers in Leinster, are saying, no, we're not joining up with Sinn Féin. And what's the overall feeling about this? Because that could work with support from smaller parties? It could uh, work as a coalition partner. They'd probably need the Greens or someone else to go in with them just to make the numbers work. But Fianna Fáil is hugely, hugely split on this. You've heard senior party members like Jim O'Callaghan come out and say unequivocally, I will not go into government with Sinn Féin and if I do I'd be on the back benches. I wouldn't serve uh, as a minister. I wouldn't serve in the government. He's an incredibly senior figure in the party. Uh, you've seen others like Brendan Smith who carry a lot, carries a lot of respect uh, as a long-standing member, also come out against it. So there's a there's a huge split. There are some in Fianna Fáil who want to be pragmatic and say, look, the numbers are the numbers. If we want to be in government, then we have to go in with Sinn Féin. It's Micheál Martin's probably his last chance to be Taoiseach. If uh, he goes into opposition after this, you would think there may be moves made against him. Having lost three elections, it's very rare that a leader will get a chance at a fourth. So there's a huge decision to be made. Whether Micheál Martin can actually carry the party membership into a coalition with Sinn Féin still has to be seen because any sort of government partnership would have to be approved by NRDESH of being the four members. There's no guarantee that that would pass either. So it's an incredibly difficult situation and numerically it will work on their directly some of the party who are perhaps not gung-ho for it but who will accept that it may be the only way to get into government whereas others are absolutely dead set against it and the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meets for the first time uh, since the election tomorrow and what, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall of that particular room because I'd say it's going to be a fairly robust discussion. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how that will go because you will, as you mentioned there, Michal Martin, he could be the only Fianna Fáil leader that never made it to Taoiseach and this could be his last chance to do so. Interesting listeners this morning here are making the point that you, you mentioned Jim O'Callaghan there. He could uh, decide to overthrow Michal Martin if the senior figures are not happy with this and think that Michal could go and, and want to become Taoiseach and the only way of doing this is teaming up with Sinn Féin. Uh, could we see trouble within Fianna Fáil and maybe a new leader over the next few weeks in things get very heated. Yeah, I definitely don't think it can be ruled out. I think if he was to come, it probably wouldn't be from Jim O'Connor, it would probably be from one of the, the TDs who actually wants to go in with Sinn Féin, although it's very hard to tell at this stage. You've seen certain people come out. I mean, Michael McGrath, for example, is someone who would be seen as a, a favourite to be one of the next, or certainly in contention to be the next leader of Fianna Fáil, but he's also against a coalition with Sinn Féin. Dara Kaliri, the deputy leader, is a little bit more open to the idea. There are others, but the, among the senior party, the split is so great.
great that whatever you do, you, you could have big trouble. So actually going after a leadership heave is a dangerous move because there's no guarantee you would then get a leader who, ha- who doesn't have the same position as Micheál Martin. So Fianna Fáil, I think, are in, in a very difficult situation. They've had a very bad election and they're kind of looking around at the moment and saying, well, we don't really like any of these options. But given the numbers aren't really going to be there to form a left-wing government, they are going to have to come back into the fold at some point. And indeed, Michael Martin is going to meet and speak to some of the smaller parties again tomorrow to assess the, the lay of the land, I suppose, and see what options might be open. And Sinn Féin then, I mean, as you mentioned there, again, the, the numbers aren't there for a left-wing government, but Sinn Féin would need a, a, the support of nearly all of these smaller parties to try and form a government. Even at that, the numbers don't add up. Uh, Mary Lou has openly said she would like to be Taoiseach and would like to work and, and for Sinn Féin to form a government. Uh, can that happen without Fianna Fáil? There's no really way that can happen with the numbers. Or will they actually just team up with Fianna Fáil in the end and Sinn Féin approach them? I mean, how is that looking for Sinn Féin at the moment? Because they, they, it's from what we're getting here, and I'm sure you are as well, the people are saying, well, they want to change, and that is the change. Yeah, and the change they voted for is Sinn Féin and some of the other smaller left-wing parties. That, that is the change. They took almost half of the vote between them. Numerically, it is possible for Sinn Féin to form that government, but it would be incredibly unstable because in order to do as you would need, Sinn Féin, the Greens, Labour, the Social Democrats and Solidarity People Before Profit, as well as at least 14 of the 20 uh, independents. So getting that number of independents alone involved in the government is incredibly risky, particularly when they're all looking after their own individual issues, trying to whip them into line to vote on a budget or vote on any sort of a bill that might prove controversial, as often comes up in a government, would be quite difficult. So it doesn't look as though the numbers are going to be there. Some of the parties like Labour seem to be fairly lukewarm about going into government anyway. They're not totally committed to it after a relatively poor election for them. So uh, the long and the short, I think, of it as we've gone through the various options, no one really knows how the next government is going to be formed. At the moment, everyone is still trying to digest the results from the weekend, assess what it means for their own political parties, and look into the future with really only the Oberadker saying, yeah, I'm probably not going to be in government, although if I have to step in, I might. Yeah, and interesting, I think it was 2016, there was also mention of a possibility of a grand coalition between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, and, and that had been rumoured then, and I know at the time the former Fianna Gael leader and Taoiseach Inda Kinney, he specifically raised the prospect during the talks with Fianna Fáil at that time. It didn't happen then, and we have what we have now at the moment until a new government. So with all of that, unless if we're going to see a situation whereby Fianna Gael will prop up Fianna Fáil, it's really who's going to talk to who over the next few days and are you hearing anything around Leinster House or around Dublin that could give an indication to where people are at and what type of government we could have? Uh, no one really knows is, is the short answer at the moment. No one actually knows what the next government is going to look like. We've just discussed through all the options there and uh, all of them have their big flaws in them. What's going to happen over the next couple of days is today Sinn Féin are meeting with the Greens and with Solidarity People Before Profit. Tomorrow they're meeting with Labour and the Social Democrats and Micheál Martin is going to meet with some of the smaller parties as well. So they're still feeding each other out, trying to see if on the left they can agree the numbers, agree a block and a programme for government that maybe then they could bring board, bring on board either enough independence or perhaps the support of Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael in a minority situation. It looks incredibly unlikely but Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are pretty happy for to let Mary Lou MacDonald away and let her try to do that for a little while while they assess the damage of the weekend themselves. And what they're going to wait, see what happens with the talks between Mary Lou and the left-wing parties and whatever they come to or don't come to is probably going to feed in the next part of it. It could be quite a long time. I think it's going to be 
potentially in months, not weeks, that we actually get a result. It took 74 days the last time around, and the last time around the numbers were a little bit easier to sort out than now. So a long time to run in this, a lot of people still assessing and seeing what's going on, and that, that we're still really in the very early days of the feeding out process. That's true. And the last time around, people were frustrated enough. So I can imagine this time there'll be more frustration because, as you say, it could take longer for the moment, Sean. Thanks for joining us on that. And I'm sure we'll be touching base again when we hear of what could happen to form our next government. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks a minute. That's Sean Defoe there, our political correspondent. So where to now? That's the thing. Uh, who can talk to who and who can form a government? Uh, there's mixed views on who should go in. Uh, Pat says, Good morning, JP. I've never seen politicians and supporters get so sick from eating sour grapes because Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are doing so unwell. They're now trying to beat Sinn Féin with their sick stick over just because uh, their ranting and their ratings didn't work. So the people now are on to you, uh, says Pat, while um, Jessica is saying, OK, I voted for Sinn Féin, but I also voted for Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and a lot of the independents in the election. However, though, I think at this stage, Sinn Féin should be given a chance uh, to form a government and see what they can do. If things don't work out, we'll have to go back for another election. Uh, while Jerry is saying it's awful to think that we could be in the same situation we were with the Fine Gael government just reversing the roles and having Fine Gael propping up Fianna Fáil. That is not the change that the people of Ireland wanted, says Jerry on text to 0862103103. A lot more text coming in on that. We'll get back to that particular issue as well on the show. But uh, Cantorc Scouts are operating for over 35 years and they are looking now to have their own premises. We'll chat with them next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And a big reaction following our chat to our political correspondent Sean Defoe on how the next government could be formed and just hearing there and the latest on this was Leah Varadkar coming out and saying that while he admits now he will be leader of the opposition that that he will talk to other parties if they need his numbers to provide a stable government for this country. And Andy in New Market says it is vitally important that we have a stable government for Ireland. This is what we need. While Maura is saying is there any person out there that can explain to me why did we have an election? As far as I can see, it's the same old story. Fianna Fáil supporting Fianna Gael, the Greens looking for a big payday. Will they, for God's sake, give it to Mary Lou and if she messes up, then slate her but give her a chance? Think we've had enough of the boys club taxing and making our lives a misery for long enough, uh, says Maura on text to 103. And a lot of people uh, feeling the same way after that. I suppose it was just in the 11 o'clock news and now Sean Defoe has referred to it there again about what Leo has said and that does and could be an indication that things could basically just swap around uh, for this government and you could have Fianna Gael propping up Fianna Fáil as we had the last time with Fianna Fáil propping up Fianna Gael but we'll have to wait and see what happens because at the moment no numbers are adding up for any parties to form a government and on the issue of speed limits and people who are being caught speeding and those who feel the speed cameras are unfair 
And should we or should we not have signs warning people about speed camera as well? Uh, Julie says, I think we should have those signs. I think everybody needs to be warned if you're going to approach an area where there's a speed camera. If you are unsure of the road, it should be mandatory to have those particular speed signs up warning you of an actual camera, uh, says Julie on text 0862103103. What a texter here says, I feel the lines on the road should be a different colour in accordance with the speed limit. I find driving in strange places hard as you already have to look out for so much. This might help people when driving. That's a good idea maybe. Would that work? Uh, especially for people who are in strange locations. If you're driving in maybe a different county or a different area and you're unsure of the location and then all of a sudden you may unfortunately come across a speed van and the area you're in could be 60k whereas you thought it was only 80k and you've got over the limit would that work would painting different signs or, or, or different colours on the road so we currently have the white lines what if we had uh, orange for a certain speed limit and green would that help or would it co- cause more confusion on the roadways anyhow your views are welcome on that 1850 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and on the fuel issue and a lot of people are not happy that the fact that the price of a barrel of oil is decreasing but we're not seeing the decrease in the petrol pumps uh, Liam on email making the point there he was travelling across the country from Derry to Cork he saw prices lowered uh, or lower down in the Kilkenny area uh, but when he came back to Cork prices were high and still between 132 to 137 Whereas in Kilkenny, they were operating at 127 to 128. Anyhow, on that, Heidi saying, I have said this before on the show about fuel prices, but they are very quick, uh, the stations, to uh, increase any small rise that they get for any small reason, but never that quick for the price to come down. It's like the car sales. When cars come into Ireland, they are the cheapest in the EU. But then all the extra money added to them by way of taxes and government levies, they then become so expensive says Heidi on WhatsApp to 0862103103 while on the issue of diesel prices and where to get good petrol and diesel prices a text here saying last week in Newmarket diesel was at 131.9 that was for last week so that's lower than the average price we've got in Cork anyhow so that's good news there so let us know if you're seeing prices coming down uh, Liam uh, was seeing that in Kilkenny and now we have an example in Newmarket so let us know where prices are decreasing in the Cork area now uh, to Canturk and Canturk Scouts they're looking for a suitable premises for their club Frank Mulcahy, who's Canturk Scout Group leader, joins me on this. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, John Paul. Thank you very much for the call. And thanks for joining us. Now, you're in existence there for 35 years for the Scouts in Canturk, but over that time frame, you've had no actual premises to call home in that time. Well, it's actually almost 40 years. Uh, so, yes, they've had no uh, no property as such. They've always kind of uh, relied on friends and great support. And at the moment, we are staying with the, in the GA hall. Um, but we really are growing. And uh, it's actually, we're the only scouts, you believe, in the Duhalla area. So we draw a lot of scouts and parents and families from uh, surrounding areas in Duhalla. And we, you know, it's very successful. We have over 80 children. We have over 50 families on a waiting list. And uh, so the, I suppose the facilities we have uh, aren't as well fit for purpose and it's very hard for a fantastic group of volunteers we have over 20-25 parents 
who who help these kids have a fantastic time to really deliver on for the kids, you know, to get them out there uh, trekking, uh, pioneering, uh, and really having lots of fun. So that's what we're really looking to get us a home for them. So they have storage and facilities and pioneering. They can do all those great things. And uh, so that's what our, our, our search is on. And uh, we, uh, we're we looking to the community to help us out on that matter. And you mentioned there, is it currently you're in the JA hall operating from, is it? Yes. So you would hear of towns whereby some towns would have a scout hall and that's where they would operate from. But that was never anything, that was not the situation in Kenturk because a lot of towns would already had a scout hall. Why wasn't that the situation in Kenturk? How come that never came about? Well, it it is a good question. And I myself have only been involved in uh, for the last three or four years. And I think really they were so focused on on uh, on action. I was reading the minutes from the first meeting they had in, in 1979, and he spoke about a scout hall. And um, so they, it wasn't intention for a very very long time. But I think they've been so focused on providing a great service and delivery on the kids uh, service that they haven't focused enough on getting a hall. And it, they've tried a lot of, of options with various other clubs and the council, and uh, it has never really never really come come to pass. Uh, so in my time, we've decided to really set the fundraising committee to focus on getting those funds uh, to, to get a property, because you find that you can, once you have a land, piece of land or property, then you can get grants to, to, do, to, do, it, to do it up and make it a bit proper. But if you don't, well, then you really you don't really qualify for anything. So we're really getting a fundraising committee, and we have a big event planned for St. Patrick's Day after the parade in Cantorch in the uh, Eagle Queen Hall uh, at 3 o'clock, and it's uh, open to all the kids after the parade, and it's really a way of giving back to community, make community events that families can go to and have a great day out uh, with puppet shows and discos and all that type of stuff. So, yes, it's a good question why. I suppose we're not unique in our way, but other towns have been more effective in getting their act together and 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 getting the uh, whatever the council to support them and giving uh, you know spaces. And we are talking to the council at the moment, and they are helping us with uh, you know with potential areas. But we still aren't really at the stage yet where we've got a, a, a home, and it does make a big difference. You can see other other areas uh, who have those lo- great bins that they can really can really build on and it, it, and uh, really, I suppose, deliver a great experience for the children. And is there any premises in the area you have in mind or would you like to take over an existing premises or, or, or build a new premises? Or what way do you think this will go for you if you get enough funding, get enough support to go ahead and either set up your own hall or take over a building and set it up as your own? Well, it's a John Paul good question. I think, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, you know, it has been 40 years and, and we haven't got a hold. So what we're doing is really looking at the fundraising and we look at all options where if someone has a piece of land or a, or a shed or a piece of property, they don't require now that we get it on lease, a long-term lease that we can, can work with or um, we're looking for any vacant properties that uh, are no longer uh, used uh, in, in the area, and we also look towards any old council properties that that uh, that we can uh, to 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 use uh, as well. So 
we really are exploring all options, I think, uh, at this stage, and we'd be, we'd be fools to kind of discount anyone's uh, suggestions or offers if anyone uh, and if the uh, listeners do have any suggestions or ideas for us about somewhere they think might be, well, that's actually a good spot or a good location or that hasn't been used for a while, well, then we'd love uh, if you uh, reach out and have a chat with us because uh, if this is, you know, the success of this group is going to be the community and it, uh, it, so successful scouts is a sign of a successful uh, community. Of course, and then if you get a premises, uh, then Frank, you'll have to kit it out so that that's an added cost. But I'm sure fundraising will everybody will come around when you have a, when you do find your premises and fundraise to kit out your new home well, when that happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a bit it's it's the uh, chicken and egg almost we're in now. Once you have it, then everyone really. But it's we're at that difficult place. We've never succeeded as a group to 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 get uh, get there, and and. Um, it's amazing, I have to say, the kids really have a great... I think Scouts gives that experience. It's unusual compared to other sports and other activities is that it, it really builds team building and leadership skills and the kids are in there on a Friday evening having a great time and, uh, and they go out getting out in the fresh air. So really, for me, and I've got all my four kids in, in, in Scouts, it really, you know, you can see the older kids and scouts and they really are go, wow, they're impressive children and um, from having that experience. So it uh, it is a great thing, I think, in, in, in these local towns to uh, for scouts and they, they give back. And we have, we have great support from other clubs and groups in the area, from GA, uh, the uh, Thai the Towns have helped us and also the uh, Min Shed. So we have a good community in, in Cantor. We just really have to um, leverage it and get this across because it'd be great. I would love to have a place for the Cantor. So, you know, next 40 years, they can really grow and, and, and service the rest of Duala. Exactly, and it's great there. You mentioned earlier the fact that you have the area itself of Duhallo and new members coming to you there in Kenturk. So it's growing because we hear these days of so many stories of children who remain in their bedrooms or in their homes, looking at phones, looking at playstations or whatever. With the scouts, they're going out. You know, they're they're, they're meeting friends of a similar age. They're learning how to socialise and how to get involved in fundraising activities. So it is good for children of a certain age to be out and about rather than uh, stuck inside looking at a phone. Not, nothing, nothing wrong with looking at a phone but not all day yeah well exactly it's, 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 it's for our generations hard to believe and really hard to understand what this what it is doing to children uh, in, in terms of this new lifestyle that they're, they're adopting but there's one thing in the scouts is a tried and tested way of uh, which I did when I was young myself a tried and tested way of exactly learning all those skills uh, and interacting and taking leadership uh, skills and problem solving, some of the things that really are going to help you in, in life uh, and in a career, where I find I know my kids do all sorts of activities, no other activity really deals with those important issues uh, at the extent that uh, I think the scouts, uh, scouts do. And um, it really is, uh, I'd encourage all you know, parents that don't have the kids, children in, in scouts to really consider it because it really does give them a different skill set and a different and, and it empowers them really to uh, to be to be better uh, better people in the future and now and have fun at the same time. 
Indeed, and, and as you say, mingling as well and, and having fun with people of their own age. For the moment, Frank, best of luck finding the premises. If there is anybody listening that can help out the Scots, the Scouts even in Kenturk, uh, let us know because we can pass on details to you if you think you have a suitable premises or know of one. Uh, let us know and we'll try and get you guys a Scout Hall there in the Kenturk area. For the moment, Frank, best of luck though with your campaign there to find one. Thank you, John Paul. I really much appreciate it. You have a good day. No problem. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, Frank Mulcahy there. He is the Scout Group Leader in Kenturk as they look to get their own Scout Hall in Kenturk. So maybe you know somewhere. Maybe you can help out if you do. 1850-333-103 and we'll try and look after the Scouts. I think it's great that we still have organisations like the Scouts and others across the country who get young people out and about mingling with people their own age and getting involved in various activities, be that fundraising or sport or whatever. And just to get them uh, out with their own age group, really, to be honest, so they can socialise and that they can actually socialise with people they know and that will make a huge advantage to them when they're older, uh, that they're mingling at a young age. So best of luck to all there and hopefully uh, we can find a scout hall uh, for Ken Turk. Now, Nick Richards was into me uh, there earlier and he's given me these. And these are a number of tickets, if you can hear them there, a number of tickets he's given me here. And these are for Westlife because this coming Friday... It's Valentine's Day, but Westlife play Parky Cueve on Friday the 28th and 29th of August. And we want to show your love for Westlife because we've got free tickets all this Friday, Valentine's Day. So these tickets here that I have, you could be winning those. If you listen in from 6am on this coming Valentine's Day, you could be heading to Westlife in Parky Cueve on Friday 28th and Saturday 29th of August. All you have to do is listen out from 6am on Valentine's morning this Friday and you could be winning your way to see Westlife in Parky Cueve. Now, that'd be nice to give your partner, wouldn't it, on Valentine's Day saying you've won Westlife tickets? I had them here. You could win them on Friday. Now, I better give them back to Nick because he mightn't like me holding on to them here in the studio. So there we are. Back to Nick. A lot of calls and comments into the show this morning and into the afternoon so we'll get through as many as we can but keep your gardening questions coming because Peter Doddle is along after 12.30 the Irish Gardener answering all your gardening questions. Get those to Bernie 1850 333 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Uh, earlier speaking regarding the roads and issues on the roads and the issue of speed cameras and penalty points doubling over the weekend and Sandy has a text in because she feels many of the new laws that they could have deduced will just be more paperwork they have done little to influence uh, tragedies uh, and just using uh, PR exercises for ministers and Garda alike every offence on roads are already covered but I reckon the Gardaí themselves would be hard pressed to remember them and adding more will not reduce road tragedies. There are too few Gardaí on the beach and in local stations. Garda presence is what's required, not penny pinching, rationing of their presence and recruitment as a present to enforce laws and reduce petty crime says Sandy on text to 0862103103 on speeding and the man I think it was John who got caught uh, speeding in Formoy near Lidl and Dennis has said you would want to tell John to get the Buy Me app they will do and deliver your shopping from the supermarket that would save him a speeding fine I've never heard of that app but uh, I must check it out a Buy Me app so obviously it's an app whereby you go in and you 
do your shopping online on the app in a particular store and they must then go get your shopping and deliver it to you which is a very handy service if you can get it anyhow uh, thank you Dennis was unaware of that particular service and uh, Seamus who we mentioned earlier as well regarding um, and this was a, an idea coming from a listener who said all the new vehicles should have a system that when you go over the speed limit your car will beep or make some type of reference to you breaking the speed limit well Seamus says I have that I have a speed warning system in my car I'm driving at the moment uh, says Seamus on the elections and uh, Fianna Fáil that could if they wanted to team up with Sinn Féin uh, Fianna Fáil voters have been in touch with one of them and they're all more or less saying the same uh, saying I voted for Michal Martin's party but certainly not for Sinn Féin I would be let down now if he joins Sinn Féin to form a government and on prices when it comes to the pumps and people noticing that the bar- barrel of oil has decreased but still the price at the pumps are high and they haven't reduced as fast as they would if it went the other way well Donald says how can fuel be at a good price in this country when the government have two thirds of it priced and it's all priced with tax it's ridiculous uh, a situation to have on the pumps because it's only a few cents per litre but it's the rest of it is made up with tax in this country something Donald that always uh, that Barry and Connor from AA always add to when we do speak about the cost of fuel in this country is because of the tax and level of tax we pay in this country on the fuel we get at our pumps and also uh, another Donald saying uh, I was talking to a man a few days ago and he was just back from Russia and he got diesel there in Russia and the diesel was 70 cent per litre 70 cent per litre in Russia uh, for a diesel compared to what prices we're paying here but again it's the cost that we're facing regarding the taxes we do pay at the pumps on our fuel and Eileen saying regarding the scouts who were looking for a premises in Kanturk Eileen has an idea she's saying the fire station at St. Theresa's Place in Kanturk that should be vacant shortly when the new station will be built I think it would be a lovely scout hall says Eileen so that's an idea if they can work uh, with the council and the fire service when that new station is built uh, could that be an option for the scouts uh, scout hall within the old fire station that could be an option Eileen thank you for your text on that uh, 2062103103 now um, we mentioned this earlier we're going to speak to him after the break this is how during a celebration after he was elected in Cork South West Michael Collins described Shane Ross as being one of the biggest scumbags in politics he apologised later uh, but he did say and he said it to us on, on the night we were there you would have heard it on the late night news bulletins that he was delighted uh, that Michael Co- or that um, Shane Ross did lose his seat anyhow Michael Collins will chat to us shortly on those comments and on exactly uh, why he said it and I know I mentioned it earlier on the show and people were texting in saying that they agreed with what Shane Ross did for drink driving um, Michael Collins feels that he destroyed many parts of rural Ireland anyhow we'll speak with him next The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie and there will be a blood donor clinic in Cork Martin for Moy that's going ahead from 5 to 8 and again tomorrow from 3 to 5 and 7 to 9 Bingo will go ahead tonight in the Adele Quinn Hall in Kenturk starting at 8.30 the usual buses will run and Kedolary Community Development they will hold their weekly lotto draw in Shehan's Bar and that's on tomorrow evening with the week's jackpot there at €1,200 Euro. 
Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now back to the elections and across the weekend you would have heard that Cork Southwest Independent Deputy Michael Collins topped the poll on the first count in Clonakilty at the Cork Southwest counts and then he went on to celebrate I presume and in one of the celebrations he made a remark regarding Shane Ross. It was picked up this morning by the Irish Independent and Michael Collins joins me. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon, uh, John Paul. And congratulations on topping the poll again in Cork South West. Thank you very much indeed. Now, I presume that this story, when we did read it out this morning, uh, I, I do presume that you went back to the mizzen after Clonakilty uh, when, when you topped the poll there and celebrations and everybody was on a high. And you did, in fairness, you did say to me in the interview, which you gave directly after you were elected, you did mention Shane Ross and you were referring to how things were faring out in Dublin and you did say that you felt he did destroy a lot of rural Ireland. You then went out to celebrate and you you went a bit further. Was was calling Shane Ross one of the biggest scumbags in politics, was it said because you were in the heat of the moment or, or why did you say it? Yes, uh, John Paul and Ferris, it was said in the heat of the moment. I was... I was pretty angered with the performance of, of Minister Ross over the last number of years and, and, and many of the um, uh, policies he brought forward in government had cost a lot of jobs in rural Ireland. I apologise for the words that I used and there's no, you know, as elected representative you have to be careful. I was tired. That, that still doesn't excuse sometimes when you say things and, you know, there was a lot of speeches made uh, back in the middle and back in Bantry that night. I'd love to go to many more places. A lot of people give me out to the call to the rest of the places but I hope to do that in due course. But, the, the uh, like and that's uh, my words. Like, as I guess I said I apologise, sir. But I there was other words I said too that I will not apologise for, and I will not apologise for the r- absolute wreck that this gentleman, this minister, took to rural Ireland. And, and and I said that in radio with him this morning in another radio station. He was on the other side. I brought him in good faith to West Cork to look at our in seventy one roads and our R five eight six roads to put in simple passing based solutions for rural Ireland. I brought him down to West Cork. It was the biggest political mistake I made in four years. And I, I bought when he was down here. I took him to the tourist offices in Skibbereen and in, in Bantry to see would he come come up with some kind of funding because they ran voluntary. I brought him to several other uh, tourism spots throughout West Cork and stayed working to try and see could we create more jobs, could we create better roads, could we keep our tourist office open. Some of them never got any one little letter back from him after the meetings and after the so-called kind of promises that he'd look into the issues. We still have the same condition in our roads. We don't We don't have a Southern Relief Road uh, finished in, in, in Bendon. We still have shocking conditions where people are spending an hour and a half travelling on a road that should only take a half an hour to 45 minutes in, the, in 71, the R586. So there's, well, there's money being spent on resurfacing when the, ta- when the surface is gone. There's no money spent on passing bays. And we have tourist offices only barely staying open in Bantry's community, which are vital to the local community. And that, and, and in the course, the percentage, the 50% increase in the tourism gone from 9 to 13.5%. Pick up the paper every week in the Southern Star or any other paper and see the closures of pubs and see the closure of restaurants. And and the road traffic bill also came into mind. There were several issues came into mind. And in the heat of the moment, I said a few words that I maybe shouldn't, but I certainly don't take back a lot of the words. But I apologise for any of the harsher words that I did use. And that was calling him a scumbag. And that's the word, unfortunately, that I apologise for. And it's the only word I apologise for. I did say that he's on the political scrap heap. I have no problem in saying that because... And to the people of Dublin and Raddown, that finished Shane Ross's career. Not not Deputy Michael Collins, but just his actions for the previous four years is why he ended his career. 
because the men had become, unfortunately, become arrogant in politics. And I tried to put out the hand to see could we work together because the Minister for Transport Tourism is hugely important to Westcock. And I needed to make sure that we could at least have a working relationship. That was the first thing I asked him. When he had a chance to come down to Westcock, he did within six months. But the man didn't have an interest whatsoever. And unfortunately... It, 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 the, the relationship between myself and himself worsened. I spoke 438 times in Dolly in the past four years, and I spoke many times. And in my time there, I've always tried to play the ball, not the man or the woman. And this occasion, unfortunately, I, I played the, the, the person and not, not the ball as such. But, you know, look at the, try to, try to work within the system to try to create a better uh, situation for the people that I represent. And people know that too. And people will, if you listen to my 438 speeches, I don't think I ever played a man or a woman. In this case, I did. And I apologise for the words, but I don't apologise for the other words that I use at the same time when I'm outlining why I was angered and why the people of Cork South West were shockingly angry to me as a politician when I went from door to door, pleased with my performance, but shocked and shattered with, 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 with rules and regulations that and changes that could have been made and things that were worse and politicians sitting on their hands instead of fighting the system. And remember one thing, we, we put in um, in the program for government rural proofing. And I said that with uh, the former minister this morning on the radio. Rural proofing all government policies. They brought in the road traffic bill before they ever rural proofed it. And they're frantically before the, the dying out of the dollar putting in the transport service one community and another community. They wasted it. It's a waste of time what they've done. They should have rule proofed it, made sure there was a proper transport service put in place if he, if he decided that this is the road he wanted to travel, the road traffic bill. There was absolutely no effort whatsoever to the case of the rural, and it didn't matter. It was outside Dublin 4, and it didn't matter. But at the end of the day, I, it was the people of Dublin and Ratdown spoke, in, in Ratdown and Dublin and, and other places that spoke and, and, and didn't vote for Shane, Shane uh, Ross. But it certainly wasn't uh, the constituency of Coxall West, but my God, I would, I'd be fearful if he did face the people of Coxall West, the kind of vote he would have got. Well, uh, Tim on text is saying that Shane Ross was, as you mentioned, in West Cork after the 2016 election. Tim feels no interest was shown, and that could be one of the reasons as well why he lost his seat. Shane Ross has come out, though, and even though he might have congratulated you on, on retaining your seat, he has said that uh, the comments were made in the flush of victory, and he he said Mr Collins took the opportunity to rage against road safety measures intended to save his constituents' lives. So what would you say to his remark about that? Because some people this morning have texted in and not having a goal, but they agreed with some part of the law and that was drink driving because their families had been hurt by drink driving. So what do you say to that response? And I said that too this morning that I would I would sincerely sympathise with anybody that has lost a loved one in any tra- road traffic accident. It's a shattering experience for any family. I've met lots of families that have. But what I said was that, and I, I always thought that battle inside here with, with, with Minister Ross, that, uh, at the, when he was minister, that rural proof this policy before you implement it. Because if you implement it, it'll close pubs, it'll close restaurants, it'll close down rural Ireland. And unfortunately, he wasn't interested. And he had lobby groups in the gallery, and we tried to speak in the doll and whatever, and all that was going on, and there was a side show going on, instead of focusing on the effects of his policy. So when he... Might have taught himself he was doing the right thing. He it has had a riveting effect right through the the whole country. And unfortunately, there's an assumption there: if you have a drink, you have a glass of wine with your meal, that you're a drunk driver. You can't. Almighty people are very, very responsible. Most people I meet are responsible. And I always said, 
if there was a situation where a person was heavy drinking the road, that certainly needs to be dealt with. And I always will say that. But there was no rule proofing of this. There's also the vet. That's a very, very important issue of the 9 to 13.5%. That's costing jobs. It's costing businesses all over the country. Now, he did say on the radio this morning that that wasn't my fault. By the end of the day, he was the minister. Seven Britain Griffin was the minister. And you the minister for tourism. They have to take 100% responsibility if they can't fight at the government table for their in, for the tourist the tourist industry out there. Because that increase of a 50% increase is causing devastating effect. And as I said, you look at the papers every week. There's two and three businesses closing um, in, in West Cork, and I know that. And I got that at the feeling at the door step. That led to my speech um, in, in 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 West Cork after my victory. And as I said, apologies for the, the words, but at the same time. For the, for the issues that I brought up that night, I stand over them 100% because we have a situation that was made very clear to me in one of the speeches I made in, in, in school the night. Is it 17 signs? Is it from Skibbereen to the Mizzen, uh, point, pinpointing Killarney? In the name of God, what's wrong with them? Can we promote our own community? Can we promote our own people of West Cork? And that's what's going on here. And he was the Minister for Transport. He could have made changes. We showed him the changes he could have made. And he wasn't willing to do so. He was willing to take the headlines on other issues. And I'm afraid it cost him dearly in Dublin. So that's, that's an issue that's outside of my control. Well, you did say, in fairness to you, on the night when we interviewed you after you were elected, you were, you were delighted to see that at that stage he was going to lose his seat. And he did. So I suppose it was it was something you said afterwards. It's what has, has made the headlines today. But you have apologised for that. Now, moving on from that, Michael. And by the way, Breda in Mill Street says, spot on, Michael Collins. Shane Ross is no loss. Uh, but outside of that, moving, looking ahead to the election, the formation of a government, who I mean, is there anybody you're, you're leaning towards? Have certain parties approached you? I know you're in Dáil Éireann today. Have Fianna Fáil come to you? Have Sinn Féin come to you? How are things looking at the moment? Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin are, uh, have not come to me. I'm meeting my rural independent colleagues, uh, a number of them uh, today, in the next hour and you know, we'll discuss what our plans are going forward. The programme for government needs to be put in place at some stage to return to the dollars next Thursday, tomorrow week. Um, and I don't see anybody being elected as Taoiseach on that day. I could be wrong. I, I think the, <laughs> the most realistic um, outcome is Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, but there's a lot of internal uh, reaction to that in certain parties. That's something they have to uh, argue for themselves. I certainly will be telling you one thing. If I'm, if they, they need my vote, if they want it, my door is wide open. But West Cork now has to go on, on, on the agenda big time. And I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the health crisis in this country. I'm looking for an assurance that Bantry General Hospital will be upgraded and not brought down to a Model 2 type hospital like they have and, and other uh, health issues where people are in trolleys or whatever going forward and housing issues. And I'm looking also, there's some, some issues that are, are red line issues for me. A standalone Minister for Fisheries. It's a vital importance now. And if, this, if the incoming government can't realise a standalone Minister of Fisheries and a standalone Minister of Agriculture, it'll be very hard for me to support any government that hasn't got that focus on, on, on the rural issues. And I mean, John Paul, I, I, will, I will be a responsible politician if someone sits around the table and shows me that they're interested in turning these decisions around and working with me. These things don't happen overnight. These things, you know, the VAT on 9 to 13.5%, that has to be brought back because people are suffering and businesses are closing. And there's no, at the end of the day, if you're living in a tourist village, there's very little, unfortunate, there's very little business from the end of September until God knows, till the 1st of May. And it is impossible to survive and that was the realisation. I couldn't get into this government. It had a Dublin four. There's two Ireland's out there. There's Dublin and India. There's Ireland. There's the rest of us. And unfortunately, if they don't focus on the rest of us, 
we're not going to be there. Our little communities are dying a bit. Rural resettlement programme, we need, it can happen and it could happen, but there was a focus off of rural Ireland and it cost the main political parties very dearly. And if they want to sit down with me and want to vote for me, if they can prove to me that they fully intend to try and work to turn that around, I'll support them. If not, I promise the people of Cox and West I'll be a, a very effective opposition going forward. And with that in mind, so it's whoever comes to you, you're going to use your advantage to make sure they deliver, for example, for Banter Hospital, for tourism and indeed for, for the roads. That, that, that's, really, that's just some of the issues I'm picking up, but you'll use it to your advantage, basically. Yes, indeed. And with, with Brexit looming uh, uh, the way it is, fishing, a standalone minister for fisheries, because these fishermen, and I know it, I met them the LinkedIn Breton of, of West Cork in the past four years. They have been abandoned by the state for decades. And they know that when, when Brexit is going to kick hard with the UK, every Irish trawl is going to be thrown out of the UK waters. But not alone that, every European trawl is going to be kicked out of the UK waters. And where are they going to come? The only country that gave them a massive cade me the fall to Ireland. They'll flood our waters and finish our Irish fishermen. And we have to stand by our fishermen and the minister, a standalone minister, a strong minister for fisheries, is what's required in this very, very delicate time. And the very same with agriculture, because the beef sector is, is, is on its knees. There's no point in saying it's, it's, it's in a crisis. It's on its knees. And minister hasn't really focused in on that. And I think there need to be two standalone ministers there. I called on the previous government, even though I didn't, didn't join the government as such. I called on him for a minister and I kept that at the, at the programme for government, a minister for rural affairs. And I, we got a minister for rural affairs. And it's a hugely important ministry going forward that minister needs to have stronger powers because rural Ireland isn't being represented properly at the government table. And it wasn't in the past nine years. And I hope going forward that that will change. If it don't, I'd pity the party that would take up OK, well, before I let you go, just a few texts in on that. First of all, uh, a person here saying Shane Ross took £20 million, uh, from health and have to given it over to one of the most corrupt organisations in Ireland, that was the FAI. Uh, and also, uh, Jones saying, fair dues to you, Mr Collins, for speaking the truth. A lot of people are delighted uh, that Shane Ross was voted out. But then on the other side of that, to balance things out, a uh, person on WhatsApp is saying that, Collins, you were only all talk. You made sure that Shane Ross had a hard time. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're always against road safety. Uh, you have no interest in safety. And is it because you have an interest in the pub business? Uh, from that particular text there. I would like to, to clarify uh, that uh, person's remark. I have two brothers in the pub business. I have no interest whatsoever, thank God, in, in, in either side of the bar because I don't have time. Um, but, I mean, they're entitled to have their own business. I, I stood by every person, whether they were in working in a pub or a restaurant, because of the VAT increase or the VAT decrease or the VAT increase that came there recently. I had to fight for every individual because I met with each and every one of them. So it's not self-interest. My uh, That gentleman or gentle lady who was at the putting in that comment they're well entitled to their comment but I'll stand by the people of rural Ireland I got it door to door to door to door and if that person has any time with them they can call to meet me and I'll take them from door to door and they'll listen to the people and listen to the stress that they can go out and have a glass of wine or a, little, or a small pint and come away home or a half pint with the worry and the fear of God people that lived in rural Ireland living in rural isolation and are now suffering a lot of them from mental health stress the stress and the difficulties they, as I said if they wanted to implement these rules and regulations rural and that gentleman, that person also said that, uh, you know, I, I, basically what they're trying to say is I don't do a whole pile. 1,500 people to Belfast. That's what I did. Because if I couldn't work inside in government, I worked outside government for the betterment of the people of Cork South West. And the people of Cork 
east and Cork Nord and the whole of the country. We took up to up to to the north and went to save their eyesight. They they couldn't have a fifteen minute procedure inside in Bantry or inside in Mellon or inside in Cork. And if that person thinks that I would do nothing, come down to Cork South and talk to the people and they'll tell them different. Okay, well, for the moment, Michael, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you regarding the formation of a government anyhow over the next uh, few weeks. But thanks for joining us this afternoon regarding your comments. Thank you. And that is uh, Michael Collins there, uh, Independent TD, of course, topped the poll in Cork Southwest uh, over the weekend on Sunday into Monday morning, uh, getting the highest uh, votes to make sure he was uh, exceeding the quota on the first count in Cork Southwest. And then the celebrations went on for him. And he's uh, basically speaking to us about him apologising because he, he called Shane Ross a scumbag at one of those celebrations later that evening. But he has apologised for that. Shane Ross has accepted his apology. And now is moving on to, for Michael Collins, that is, to see who can he speak to in relation to forming a government? Anyhow, we'll hear more about that, I'm sure, over the next number of weeks. Uh, speaking on the cost of fuel and the price of fuel here in the Cork area, as the price of fuel is falling in the Middle East, it seems uh, diesel and petrol prices remain the same here. And one texter has said diesel in Erlingford costs 125.9. What is the cost around here? Well, the cheapest we've got so far from the market at 131.1. And in other areas, 132.9. But I haven't got anything as yet to say that in Cork you can get diesel for 125.9. That's the costing earning for it. Anyhow, let your uh, diesel prices, uh, let them come into us and we'll see where we can find the cheapest in the Cork area. But your gardening questions are welcome now. Peter Dowdall joins us next. You can call Bernie 1850-333-103 or text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086. And we rejoin Peter Doddle who joins us uh, for the new year ahead looking ahead to the spring and summer and people getting uh, set for their gardens again Peter, good afternoon to you Good afternoon John Paul, how are you? And welcome back and even though it is February Happy New Year to you and all of that A good good, uh, time time relaxing and uh, getting over the the busy last year into another year because it's a lot of planning isn't it for early in in the new year Gardening the year only kind of starts at the first of February. So before that, it's all planning. But now we get to see the the new growth coming once again. The, the bulbs emerging through the soil, and it's a fabulous time of the year. But yeah, a lot of work and a lot of planning in December, January. Here, looking ahead. Well, we've had a lot of questions then, Peter, so I'm going to go straight into them here because we've had a number of them. We probably won't get to them all, but we'll give it a good shot anyhow. I'm going to start off with Mary in Mallow. Uh, she's bought a box of onion sets in the supermarket. Now, she wants to grow them in her tunnel. Is this a good time to plant or should she wait until it gets warmer? No, absolutely. Plant away. You could you could even plant them outside at this time of the year. Uh, outside, I mean, if the, the advantage of growing them in a tunnel, you'll have them to harvest sooner. The, the disadvantage, if you want to call it that, is you will have to pay attention to watering them because uh, onions will need to be kept, you know, not, not overly moist, but, you know, they will need regular watering. But yeah, you could certainly do that straight away. Okay, John Butterfint. Now, he grew strawberries last year and they got vine weevil. Is there any way to stop them this year? He does not want to spray the plants with chemicals. Yeah, and any of the vine weevil killers are, are the, the chemical vine weevil killers are particularly nasty. So I'd advise everybody not to use them or to avoid them if they could. But vine weevil is a particular problem, and it, and strawberries are a host plant like many plants. Uh, there is a product called Super Nemos, which is a biological control where you're introducing uh, nematodes to which will feed on not just vine weevil. Actually, it's a good product, a totally environmentally sound product to use. Uh, against vine weevil, but also against leather jackets and other soil-borne pests. Now, it's it's an Irish product, and as I say, it's totally environmentally sound, but 
the temperature has to be a certain degrees, which I don't remember what that is off the top of my head, for it to be effective. So realistically, you're waiting till the second half of March normally before you apply it. Your window to apply it is kind of March to late August, early September. Super Nemo, it's called. A quick, a quick Google search will find it. Okay, and also Joe wants to know uh, how early can he set the first early potatoes uh, to be planted in the greenhouse? How early can he set those? Now as well, again, you could be planting the first earlies outside nearly now, just protect the, the growing tips from the frost just by earthing up, but you could certainly be starting them off indoors uh, right now. Okay, and we're sticking with potatoes because Kitty and Buttevant, now she grew potatoes in her back garden last year and she grew them, Peter, in an old tyre. Now, she's keep she kept stacking on more tyres and earthing up the spuds because she saw you on YouTube uh, that you can grow way more spuds that way. But then when she went to harvest them, there was only potatoes in there in the first tyre and not the others. Is it a myth that you can grow more potatoes that way or how does it work? She didn't see me doing that on YouTube. Anyway, I can guarantee <laughs> you that. But that's not to say you couldn't. I think I have seen something similar uh, on YouTube. It's, what you're doing is, if you if you can imagine one tire on the ground, uh, or it could be a concrete surface or, or a soil surface, uh, and you kind of fill that with soil, the, the, the hollow bit and everything, and the tire bit, uh, and you put in your seed potato, and then as you're you add another tire to it, it's the same as earthing it up. Uh, so, uh, being honest with her, I've never tried doing it that way. That's all I can absolutely say. She shouldn't see me doing it on YouTube. But um, it, it, I would I would have thought, I can't imagine why it wouldn't work. I would have thought it would work. So uh, I'm not sure is the short answer to that one, I'm afraid. All right. Uh, Mary in Dramahan, I'm not too sure who was on YouTube doing it. Maybe a lookalike. Anyhow, Mary yeah. in Dramahan, is this the time of the year to cut back her roses? And I have a lot of questions in about roses. So is this a good time to cut them back, Peter? Okay, well, let's give you a couple of general general pointers on roses. Yes, it is a good time to, to cut roses back. Uh, I'd always like to have them done certainly before the end of February. So you've still got a couple of weeks before the end of February because then you, the, as the temperatures begin to increase uh, during March, that's when the new growth will begin, obviously. So you don't want to be pruning that off. You want to have the pruning done before that new growth starts. So before the end of February, what I would say to you is you want to create a good open bush centre. So maybe identify three or four main stems that are pointing outwards from the centre so you don't get left with a lot of congestion in the centre of the plant or crossing branches because these crossing branches can lead to, to wounds on the, on the bark of the plant. That's where infection gets in. And also if there's too much congestion inside, uh, you, you poor air circulation. That's again when you, you're creating conditions which are ideal for the development of fungal infections like um, mildew and black spots. So a good open centre. There really is no mystery to pruning roses. Um, People, people try and make it sound difficult, but it, it's not. Uh, so you, you want to prune it back to three or four main stems, have them facing out, and you can cut them back. These are for bush roses now. You can cut them back to within, certainly within kind of eight or ten inches of the ground. The important thing to remember then, you can mulch around roses with something like farmyard manure or seaweed or homemade compost at this time of year. But the important thing to remember is um, you don't cover the graft union, which is just above the soil surface. If you go looking, you'll see the graft. It's kind of a swelling just an inch or two above above the soil. Don't cover that with any mulch or any soil you're putting on it. Have them cut back before the end of February. And I would say as growth starts then to prevent the fungal infections like rust and like mildew and, and these things, uh, when the growth is just beginning, when the buds are just coming into leaf, drench the roses and the soil around it with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water to try and prevent them getting fungal infections. Okay, Jur has a very large variegated holly uh, with loads of red berries. Now, he wants to cut back the holly as it has grown very big, but wants to know, will the berries be any good for the birds to eat? He does not want to cut off the berries if the birds need them. 
Well, the birds, holly, holly is the plant, actually, that, believe it or not, the birds tend to leave till the end. So they'll eat it if they need it, uh, but it's not their most preferred treat. So my advice is, on saying that is, give it, leave it another couple of weeks, leave it till the end of February, because we do get a particularly cold spell, which we very may well do. Um, the birds will be very glad of the holly berries. So leave them on for another couple of weeks, and I'd say early March, first week in March, you can get out and cut back. Hopefully at that stage, the temperatures should be increasing. Okay, and keep your questions coming for Peter to 0862103103. Let's go back to questions to do with bulbs because this is from Anne and she wants to know what bulbs could I plant now to have a splash of colour in late October? In late October, I have to give a blatant plug to my own website which I've set up recently, John Paul, which is the irishgardenerstore.com and the reason I'm doing that there is because we're selling a lot of summer flowering bulbs on it now along with native Irish wildflower seeds. Um, so have a look there and you'll see good suggestions. But for late October, you could certainly be looking at things like dahlias. It depends what, what you want, obviously. Like the dahlias will get, you know, depending, might be quite tall. They'll get anything from two feet up to four feet in height. Uh, then you have the tuberous begonias and the trailing begonias, which would be very suitable for, for bedding displays or for hanging baskets, window boxes, that kind of thing. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, some of your, your summer flowering lilies will probably be finished at that stage. Noreens would be a good one. I don't think you, you'll find it difficult to get noreens. Well, no, you, sorry, I'm, I'm talking out loud. At this time of the year, you probably will find noreens available. They'll still be, they'll only be coming into their best really in October. So I would say probably the noreens and the dahlias. And they, they should do further, because a lot of people will be looking now for that as Anna is now for the summer. Yeah, so now, now is the time, the time to do it. Get, plant your, your wildflower meadows and, and your summer bulbs. Do that now. And just that website again you mentioned there for yourself? The, the irishgardenerstore.com. So that's my own and it, there's, there's no big company behind it. So it's just me. So if you want to send a message through the store, it'll, it'll land with me. Uh, and, and yeah, we, we have native Irish wildflower seeds and summer flowering bulbs at the moment. Okay, uh, this is from Helen and this is to do with Red Robin. It's her son. Uh, he has a Red Robin hedge. It's about six to seven foot high, but it's rather bare down at the end of it. Is now the time to cut it back or how low could it be cut, says Helen? Probably just a small bit early because of the cold temperatures we're having at the moment. I would leave it again till the end of February, maybe early March. But yeah, a Red Robin hedge, is, it's stunning if it's well maintained and well kept. But if it's not well maintained, it does tend to get leggy and a bit sparse. So yes, do cut it back. Uh, start of March I would say is the time to do it difficult to say on radio without being there next to it to say exactly how far to cut back but they will respond to being pruned back hard but do try and make sure that you're leaving a good bit of foliage still on the plant if you know what I mean so don't Mm. remove all the foliage don't cut into that bare woody growth because it may not recover from that so do leave foliage on the plant but remembering that you can cut it back as hard as you want above that Okay, I'll stay with cutting back. Uh, listener wants to know, when should I cut back my beech hedge? Again, I'd probably wait a bit, maybe early March. And staying again with cutting back, I have a laurel type hedge. I'm not too sure what it's like, uh, says Joan, but can I cut it back now or should I leave it? It looks like ivy, but a big version of ivy. So if that's any good description to you, uh, Peter, about this laurel type hedge and when, you, when can she cut it back? I would say if it looks like it's probably not Laurel, but maybe send a picture in either to yourself, hmm. uh, John Paul, or send it in to myself on Facebook, the Irish Gardener on Facebook, uh, and I'll have a look at it to try and identify it in the first instance. Uh, I'm going to err on the side of caution and say don't cut it back now. No, I would certainly wait till March before I would cut anything like that back. 
Um, but do send a picture in just in case it's something that might need it, might might need a more specific answer. Yeah, you can WhatsApp your pictures of any of those plants you're unsure of. WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And Jerry Inglamire for the name, looking for the name of a weed killer to kill broadleaf weeds that are coming up through gravel in a driveway. Now something other than Roundup because he feels Roundup can kill the grass but not the weeds. Um, my my go to answer, I'm afraid, with with weeds is cancel your gym membership and get out there with a shovel or a, or a, a trowel and take them out by hand because it's the most effective way of doing it and it's the most environmentally sound way of doing it. And when you say a weed killer except Roundup, unfortunately 99% of the weed killers available contain the active ingredient glyphosate, which is the same as Roundup. So they're really just different brandings on the same product. They're all glyphosate-based nearly. Uh, you do have brushwood killers and things like that, which would, would be, you know more damaging and more heavy duty if you like uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to recommend them I'm afraid because I don't think we should be using weed killers in the garden um, but the, the short answer is nearly everything that you're going to get on a garden centre store is glyphosate based so they're all the same really Okay, and Maria in Ballantemple wants to know, she has a skimia rubella it's about two years old, can she transfer it to a pot for this time of the year? You can transfer it into a pot, yes. Uh, the time to do you are okay to do it because the temperatures are still cold. So it's only two years old; it's not that established. But there will be a there will be an element of risk removing anything that's from the ground, obviously because you'll do root damage. But it's not that long in the ground, so hopefully you'll be okay. Get as big a root ball as possible, and it's a job that you'd have to certainly have done as soon as possible before the end of February at the very very latest. So get out there today or tomorrow and do it. Okay, and Breda wants to know: Can dogwood can that be moved now? Exactly the same answer. So yes, it can be moved now. Cut it back hard when you're when you're removing it. Uh, get as much of the root ball as possible, and do it when the temperature as cold as possible, because you want to move those plants when they're dormant completely, uh, fast asleep, so they can repair the root damage before they start growing again in the spring. Okay, and Barry wants to know, and this is to do with pruning. Can I prune my hydrangeas now at this time? Yes, again, like the roses, I probably have that done. Maybe maybe wait till this particular cold snap has gone a few days, hopefully. Uh, and then prune them back I would say before the end of February yes Okay and Jim again with pruning he wants to know can I prune a forest flame that's about 10 to 11 feet high at this stage You can prune it yeah but I would hold tough on that because the forest flame are, are so called because they're, they're stunning new growth is the lovely red colour which gives it the, this flame look it's a really stunning stunning plant but yeah the forest flame can get quite tall it can get 10, 11 feet and more Um do cut it back. Don't cut it back yet because when you get that gorgeous new red growth, it's, it's obviously quite susceptible to frost damage because it's new. So you would want to wait till early March again. You could even leave it till a bit later. You could leave that one till April if you wanted. Okay, and very finally, uh, this person has sat two camellias last April. They are about three feet high now, but will they flower this year? What does Peter think? It's the million dollar question, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, in terms of age, of course they could. The, the camellias don't need to be any particular age to flower. They can flower from year two or three. Uh, and I suspect if they got them, they were a few years old as well. So in terms of age, definitely, then it, it's a matter of all other things being correct. The nutrient level in the soil, they like good potassium, a uh, good level of potassium in the autumn, and they don't like to be facing east or south. Uh, it sounds like they're quite fussy they're not but just put them in the right position and they'll try for you but you do need to get the position right however they will have their flower buds set from last autumn so if there are no buds on the shrubs at this stage you're not going to get flowers I'm afraid
Okay, Peter, and are you back again with talks uh, over the next while? Yeah, the the next one now is the 4th of March in Formoy. Looking forward to it. It's a while since I've been in Formoy Flower Club, so looking forward to that one. It's the 4th of March. I'll talk more about it next week in terms of the location, and that it'll be 8 o'clock kickoff and then the 4th of March uh, in Formoy. Okay, Peter, thank you for that. The first one, a lot of questions in. Any questions we didn't get to, we'll bring them over for next week and we'll chat to you, Peter, uh, next uh, Wednesday on the show again after 12.30. Thank you, Peter. Peter Duddall there answering your gardening questions on the issue of fuel and cheap fuel here in Cork. The cheapest we've got so far is a Ross Oil garage in East Cork for 124.9. Also, diesel in Burgess between Killa and Yole at at 1.25. So that's cheap enough. So East Cork for the cheap diesel so far. And also... A listener has said, I've just purchased diesel at the Kinsale Road in the city for 128.9. So diesel is lower in some parts of the county, depending where you go. You have to shop around, really, don't you, to get the cheap diesel. Thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced.